0: And welcome to When We Were Young, the podcast that takes a look back at the pop culture we loved as kids to see if any of it still holds up now that we're mostly grown up. Mostly. (laughs) I'm Becky, the podcast host most likely to definitely, definitely be answering a question from a half hour ago.
1: I'm Chris, the podcast host most likely to squeeze and
2: pull and hurt your neck. And I'm Seth, the host most likely to go back to Walbrook, stay with Charlie Babbitt.
0: <laughs> Today we're returning to the year 1988, the same year as several other movies we've covered on the podcast, including Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Boo. Coming to America, Yay. Die Hard, and the, oh. land- and the Land Before Time. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we don't need a comment after everyone. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. <laughs> So there are a lot of great movies celebrating their 30th anniversary this year. The biggest movie of 1988, however, had nothing to do with cartoons or dinosaurs. It wasn't a raunchy comedy, didn't include larger-than-life stunts or any special effects really whatsoever. The biggest movie of 1988 in terms of critical and box office success was Rain Man, the story of two brothers on a road trip.
1: (laughs) It was the Marvel movie of its time.
2: (laughs) (laughs) The Rain Man Extended Universe presents...
1: I mean, it did have man in the title, like Iron Man, and those kinds of movies. So yeah, I guess it seems came- like coming on the same theme. <laughs> yeah, when it <laughs> gets <a>
2: remade, <laughs> I think it'll be a superhero movie. <laughs> I'm picturing Rain Man with like a cape and like
0: the all... whole. Yeah, Rain Man is an interesting movie for us to cover because I feel like, and maybe I'll be proved wrong. Um, it's not like we had Rain Man uh, uh, toy figurines to play with. I had the poster of <laughs> um, one. Or... I had the
2: lunchbox. So I don't know about <laughs> yeah. you, Becky, and a the thermos. It came with a thermos. Because
0: in 1988, we were like, what, five, six years old, something like that? Yeah, four. So we were very young. I was
2: young. Uh, not born yet, but yeah.
0: <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> I was a
2: luxurious young four. Sorry. Mm,
0: sorry. And this was, you know, a drama, a relationship family drama. So I'm assuming we don't have that much backstory with it in our childhoods, but we wanted to cover a drama on the podcast. Yeah.
1: I was looking back at our topics, and this is kind of our first drama. Uh, <laughs>
2: it's surprising. We're
1: very dramatic people in general. Yeah. <laughs> We do. I mean, we are people who like dra- dramatic movies a lot. That too. <laughs> but I mean, obviously, well, Becky was kind of watching a lot of things as a <laughs> kid. But like, you—that tends to not be what you're drawn to as a child. But the only dramas we've done are Train Spotting, which I don't consider—it's drama a drama, the, but it yeah. was
0: later in our—we were like teenagers. Mm-hmm. So, and it's
1: very like, and it almost plays like an action movie, yeah, in ways. like a caper
2: movie, and or it's something. very
1: funny as well. um and then
0: i was going to say like alien but even that's not li- like like no, a i think this is our first pure drama where it's not also an action movie and it's not also like something else
2: and nothing blows up and i
1: would say like a league of their own is the other one that's kind of a drama but it's also kind of a sports movie and it's funny so i feel like it's not like this is a real i'm prestige, shaking my fist
0: prestige drama <laughs> That yeah. came out in the 80s when we were very young.
1: Yeah, and this is actually also our only second Best Picture winner on the podcast, which seems a Ooh. little...
0: It was the first one. Why can't I remember? Cold
1: on this boat.
0: It, it <laughs> oh, yeah, rhymes it's with Titanic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Titanic's kind of a drama, but it's also a million other things. Yeah, so. exactly. Um, it's a different, <laughs> different movie than Rain Man. So before we get into talking about Rain Man, I have a question for my co-hosts um because this movie is about um a sibling it's a sibling drama i wanted to know for chris what was your relationship like with your sibling when you were young versus as an adult and seth um you're an only child did you want a sibling growing up and uh like how was being an only child for you
2: how lonely are you (laughs) Very and always, (laughs) is the answer to Chris's question. I'm going backwards in order here. And now, Becky, I did at certain points want a sibling, or at least was always very curious about what it would be like, and also how I would be different or would have had a different experience of growing up than I did. Because I lived in a suburb, and like my neighborhood was a subdivision, so it was relatively isolated from being able to see a lot of other people in a lot of my different friends. Friend groups conveniently and close by. So, I had, like, friends and neighbors and, like, friends of mine who would come over from time to time, but I basically spent a lot of time alone. But it's also always been an evident part of my personality and just my enjoyment of life that I enjoy being alone and, and doing things myself. So, I felt like my experience of growing up as an only child was probably very typical of many only child situations. You know, I didn't have to share all my belongings. I didn't have to share everything and have to like learn to live in a bedroom with multiple other people at any given point in time in my life until I got to college and also until I was in summer camps. (laughs) (laughs) So always. Like that's the thing I I did have life experiences that made me have to learn how to share and get along with people and you know be a good neighbor friend (laughs) And on the flip side of it, I've always felt like my closest friendships in my life have been like a kind of familial relationship, you know? And it's like you have all different kinds of relationships with people in your family, but I've always really connected to the idea of a chosen family, and like that's how I view my friendships. Um, So, I don't feel like I've really been deprived of one whole kind of way of living in the world and, you know, having relationships that are great and fulfilling. Well, you have. <laughs> no.
0: When you were <laughs> when you were little, did you ever look at your friends who had siblings and you were jealous? Or that didn't even come up for you?
2: No, I was never really jealous of it, especially when so many of my closest friends' siblings were pains in the ass.
0: <laughs> so you're more like, I'm so glad that's not me.
2: Or just like... I I'm glad that I that if there are those people in my life or even in my family to one degree or another I don't have to share space and time with them constantly.
0: Chris?
1: Yeah, I mean this is weird to talk about because I know that my sibling will be hearing this because she is a diehard fan of the podcast. And because she's nosy as hell. (laughs) And she's and probably my parents will listen to it too or at least my mom. Uh, Throw them
2: all under the bus, Chris. It's time. (laughs) I hate her.
1: No, I don't. Yeah, my sister, her name is Janae. She's uh, two and a half years younger than me. I feel like there were a lot of distinct phases of sibling relationship between us where like, like I know, we played a lot together, and like we have some really fond memories. And I know I've shared some stuff. Pop culture, like we watched a lot of things together. Like my best friend's wedding, that's just still a movie we can bond over. Especially against <laughs> my co-hosts who <laughs> were less appreciative of it. Um, the Brady Bunch movie was another one of those things where, I like, I specifically remember watching that with her every day, and it, I think it has added to my fondness for those movies to have shared them with someone else versus honestly like at that age I can't remember anything that I watched alone probably I didn't watch very much alone because you're like sharing a TV I can't think of anything that I watched and had so much of a connection to that wasn't you know also shared between the two of us until you know like I was a teenager and I started you know watching things on my own and getting into more things like Scream and, and stuff like that that I'm specifically a fan of and my sister is not as much of I don't know that I would say though that we were very close as kids, especially like Getting older. I mean, I know like we fought a lot, like most siblings, for a while. And then, like, you know, once I got old enough where we're like, we're not going to be like physically like rolling around on the floor, like screaming at each other. I think we just had our own different experiences. And I know that as a teenager, I felt very kind of isolated. And I actually am the one who always wanted a sibling, but I remember always wanting an older brother. And I I didn't really like analyze this at the time, but I think it's because like someone. To kind of, like, go through things for you, to be the first one to go through it, because it can be very difficult.
2: Yeah, the pioneer, like, the person who can, like, go out ahead and kind of give you some warning about what's coming along the pipe.
1: Yeah, and I mean, I never had an older brother, so I never had real knowledge of it. But, like, someone who would, like, defend you or, like, stick up for you if people were being, like, bullies. Not that I was, like, bullied all the time, but just, like, knowing that someone was there, you know, and someone had your back. I mean, I guess that's what I was doing for myself. And I think that my sister has mentioned things, like, that I went through a lot of things that she didn't have to go through because, like, I was the first child to deal with, like, curfews and stuff like that with Mm -hmm. our parents. So, during those teen years, I actually, like, felt very isolated and like i felt very much like i was dealing with all that alone and so it actually is only as adults that me and my sister i think have become much closer and actually will now talk about you know our childhoods and the shared things that we experienced that we never actually expressed to each other at the time like i didn't know that the things that i was going through was something that she was acknowledging or experiencing as well and it's only now when we talk about these things that now it's like oh wow like we really do have this shared experience and no one else you know, had the exact same upbringing that we did, but we both have a complete frame of reference for, you know, everything that we went through. And it's been very helpful, you know, especially as my parents got divorced in my 20s, it was very helpful to have her there for that, just to kind of compare notes and say, like, this is how I'm feeling about this. I think that would have been a much harder thing to go through if there was not someone who, you know, knew my parents and, like, could kind of be just, like, a support system during that time. So I would say now I have a great relationship with my sister, but that kind of surprises me in the sense that, like, it wasn't like we were the closest of friends growing up. It, it was something that really kind of happened more more as we needed like support you know as adults and Mm -hmm. and you know just kind of coming together in that way so
2: that's really beautiful that's really beautiful and it's especially cool that you've been able to do that as you've gotten older you know because it's like certainly so many like sets of siblings have to you know like be in that bunker together for so long and then don't ever get to a place in their own lives where they can then like connect the dots with each other yeah
0: that's really great so I, with my sister, we did have a lot that we shared when we were younger, growing up in the same house. Like I, you know, coming to America was like. The movie we would quote back and forth to each other and just things like that I probably have said on the podcast but generally I feel like we didn't become actual like friends until my sister went to college I think when we were very young we probably annoyed the hell out of each other and we're she's four years older than me but five in school so like when she was in high school I was in elementary school we had like you know nothing in common really like I was probably the annoying younger sister she was my annoying older sister that would make fun of me You know, it wasn't, like, a fun (laughs) home environment. Sorry, Chelsea, if you're listening to this. But, like, I mean, you were there. You know, like, there's no shared anything besides maybe the occasional movie or song or something that we both liked. And I remember very distinctly, I just wanted to be left alone a lot. So, like, the fact that somebody else was there was annoying and she was taking up, like, resources.
2: (laughs) That's my oxygen. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Unhand that my breath. My mom driving her places or
0: something, so maybe I felt like I was invisible or left behind mm-hmm. or not as important because Chelsea had kick line to go to or her, you know prom or this thing or that thing. My mom focused on her. And so she. I remember she went to college, and I was in seventh grade when she started her freshman year. And I just remember when she would come back, that's when we started getting along much better and actually having things to say to each other that were like real things. And I remember I must have been 19 or something. Like, I must have been, like, my freshman year of college. I think that I was, like, kind of starting to drink. I remember we met in the city and went to some, like, stupid Times Square restaurant bar. And she ordered a drink. And it was the first time I, like, saw her, like drinking, like, being an adult. I just have this memory. Maybe, like, I took a few sips of, like, a margarita or something, or maybe even I had a drink, but, like, Becky I don't know. it goes
2: wild in Times Square. Yeah,
0: I, like... <laughs> I must have had a few, I don't know what it was, but like, I just remember that was like one of the few times we were alone together, not as adults, but as young people. And we were talking about, you know, our parents or things that she's doing in college or had done in college because I can't remember the year. And I just felt like, oh, this is like my sister's a person, (laughs) you know, like she's not, I just, you know, and she's talking to me like I'm a person
2: well and it's also like the act of drinking is a social bonding experience you know and it's like the first time having a drink with your parents changes the way that you see them the first time you see your parents shit face drunk (laughs) definitely (laughs) changes the way that you see them but of course it's the same way with a sibling
0: yeah so I would say like since then like it's gotten like closer and closer and I would say we're very close I'm very happy to have her as my sister and she lives outside Boston and I try to see her and she has two beautiful kids and I wish I saw her more. I hope, you know, one day like we can go abroad together on a on a trip or something like and, and- And have that um, those experiences just because it's been hard living like a whole country apart. But I love my sister and she is definitely like one of my best friends. I think that we respect each other and everyone's home life is very unique. And so she's the only person that knows what I've gone through because she's been through too. And it's been interesting to like talk as adults about what we went through as kids even though we both had the same exact parents but it's like maybe our parents treated her different than me and it's like it's interesting to look back on what we have in common and what we didn't even though we yeah, like came from like, the same compare background those
2: dynamics.
0: Yeah. yeah. okay cool so this is officially already
2: the wholesomest purest <laughs> sweetest episode we've ever done
1: now let's talk about our relationship with our grandparents
0: <laughs> this episode is like a basket of puppies oh my god well let's start talking about Rain Man. Rain Man Never, never
1: touch a steering wheel when I'm driving. Do you hear me? Yeah. Do you hear me? Of course, I
0: don't have my underwear.
1: What? I'm definitely not wearing my underwear. What are you talking about? I gave you a fresh pair of mine this morning. Oh, not my underwear. Where I told you to go in the bathroom and put them on. Where are they? Of course, they're in the pocket of my jacket. Where? Here. These, these are too tight. I don't want them back, right? These are not boxer shorts. Mine are boxer shorts. Well, what's the difference? These are Hanes underwear 32. Is yeah. These are Hanes 32. Off of my boxer shorts have my name and it says Rain. Well, all, right, all right, all right, When we pass the store, we'll pick you up a pair of boxer of course, shorts. I get my boxer shorts at Kmart in Cincinnati. We're not going back to Cincinnati. We're going start with that. 400 Oak Street. We're not going back to Cincinnati. You don't have to go to Cincinnati to pick up boxer shorts. That's yeah, and Burnett in Cincinnati. What did I say? Ray? It's Kmart. What I, you hear me. I know you hear me. In my boxer shorts are. Don't might... fool me with this shit for a
0: second. Yours are too tight. Ray, did you fucking hear what I said? Shut up! Yeah. Rain Man was released on December 16th, 1988. It was directed by Barry Levinson. The story is by Barry Morrow and the screenplay is by Barry Morrow and Ronald Bass. It stars Tom Cruise, Dustin Hoffman and Valeria Golino. The music is by Hans Zimmer. I think it's one of his first film scores or mm-hmm.
1: it's one of the early ones. It was his bi- his first big like one that was recognized, you know, like cuz this was a big Academy. Mm-hmm. So this is basically what made him into like an A-list composer.
0: The budget was 25 million. Uh, Domestic box office was 172 million. The worldwide box office was 354 million. Holy shit! Really? Yeah. Okay, I didn't
2: look any of this up before because I wanted to be surprised, but you guys, I'm actually surprised. Oh my
0: god. (laughs) Seth, here are the movies that that Rain Man beat at the box office (laughs) in 1988. Are you ready for this? I don't think I am. In order from, you know, two on down, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Coming to America, Big. Twins, Crocodile Dundee 2, and Die Hard. Wow. Okay, amazing. that's,
2: uh, again, a completely stacked, bonkers year for cinema, first of all. Especially
0: of Crocodile Dundee 2. Right. <laughs> oh,
2: oh, I've seen that movie so many times. You guys were going to have to cover that on the podcast eventually. But no, seriously, that is really surprising.
0: Yeah, this movie is crazy um it was also nominated for eight oscars it won four best picture best director best original screenplay and best actor for dustin hoffman
1: all the best oscars <laughs> yeah all the main oscars
0: the movie has an 89 percent on rotten tomatoes um i didn't really pull any reviews because honestly they are almost all positive even the negative reviews were mostly positive (laughs) like they had even the most negative reviews had plenty to praise about the movie i want to talk about the cast and crew a little bit barry levinson the director he has writing credits on a handful of mel brooks movies and uncredited writing work on tootsie Um, but his other movies include diner the natural good morning vietnam bugsy disclosure sleepers wag the dog uh most recently he did the hbo movie paterno Um, Just so, he's not a name that really comes up a lot when you think about, like, Spielberg, Scorsese, but he's done a lot of stuff. Yeah, and he's not, I
2: I wouldn't necessarily say he is an auteur in the classical sense, but he does pick these, like, really specific, often very small-scale stories. And I think he's made some really tremendous movies, like... Yeah, as we were talking about, like, dramas
1: that are specifically dramas, I think that's definitely his, like, milieu, which is like a lot of other people will do like something splashier and he's like tends to focus on these more kind of character centric things without a lot of like external stuff
2: Absolutely.
0: Dustin Hoffman in 1988 was a hugely iconic movie star. He had been a leading man since 1967 with The Graduate. He won Best Actor in 1980 for Kramer versus Kramer and he would win a second Oscar for Best Actor for Rain Man. Um but he was also nominated for Best Actor five other times and always Best Actor, never be- never supporting which is kind of amazing. Wow. Yeah. And Tom Cruise, Rain Man was his 11th movie. He had already performed in Risky Business, Top Gun, and Cocktail. So he was a huge star. The next year, in 1989, he would receive his first Oscar nomination for Born on the Fourth of July. Mm -hmm. He's only been nominated Mm -hmm. three times in his whole career. Wasn't nominated for Rain Man. Which is kind of surprising, mm-hmm. um, and it, he's. This is also our first Tom Cruise movie <laughs> that we're covering on the podcast. Wow.
2: It's amazing that we've averted him for so long. Drama <laughs> and Tom Cruise. We have Deern Player
0: Tama because there's plenty of Tom Cruise movies we could cover. Oh yeah, yeah.
2: heading into the next few years are going to be the anniversaries of a lot of his best movies. So mm-hmm. the listeners just know we'll be coming back to Mr. Cruise. Well, this is
1: also one of the weirder Tom Cruise movies you could pick as like because it's such a two hander and mostly he's. Such a movie star, and he's like top billed. And in this one, he's the supporting character in a
0: a lot of ways. He's always (laughs) usually running around.
2: He's very slow in this movie. (laughs) And mostly driving at a leisurely pace (laughs) rather than running his ass off. It's a very different Tom Cruise than you may know.
0: So the plot of Rain Man is a selfish, self-involved man named Charlie Babbitt, played by Tom Cruise, discovers that his estranged father has died. He travels from Los Angeles to Cincinnati for the funeral, where he learns that his dad has left his $3 million fortune to his other son, Raymond, played by Dustin Hoffman. Raymond is an autistic savant, and he lives in kind of like a group home. Charlie had no idea he even had a brother and feeling like he's owed more money from his father he kidnaps Raymond from the home caring for him and the two embark on a road trip to Los Angeles with Charlie hoping to get conservatorship over his brother to get half the money. The character of Raymond is based off a man named Lawrence Kim Peake a man that the screenwriter Barry Morrow had met in 1984 and decided to make this original movie based off of him. Peake was considered a mega savant. He had an exceptional memory but experienced social difficulties. He could read full books in about an hour and memorize everything he had read immediately he was memorizing things as young as 16 months old but didn't learn to walk till he was 4
1: yeah i watched a video of kim peek online and like, he can tell you, like, what day of the week, like, pretty much anything happened on or will happen on, because uh, he just knows the calendar back and forward. I-, I did do a little research on this, and it's it's interesting, like, reading about how, like, in a way, these are, like, superpowers, you know? These are things that normal humans can't even conceive of being able to do.
0: That's what makes him Rain Man.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the Rain Man. <laughs> Autism, as a word, wasn't even used until early 1900s. And because I know autism and Asperger's are something that are still being felt out by, you know, the medical community. And, like, it is not a mental illness, but there was a long period of history where it was considered a mental illness. And I discovered that up until 1980, like, autism was still confounded with schizophrenia. So this was only, like, eight years after, like, serious scientific journals had, like, officially separated autism and schizophrenia. This is very early, basically, in the public perception of autism. And the movie gets blamed a lot for misrepresenting what most autistic people are like. Because most of them are not, you know, savants and can't do the things that Rain Man can do. But but it is true that some people can. Um, so it also is most people's frame of reference for autism, I think. Hmm. Um, Maybe not now, but at least when I was growing up, I think that Rain Man was kind of the only... It was the only frame of reference I had for autism. I didn't know very much about it. I didn't know what kind of challenges it really presented, you know. People did not really know what to do with it and now I, I think that there's still a lot of feeling out that we have to do but I, I feel like in the last 10 or 15 years, you know, people have kind of started understanding where to place it and how to, you know, kind of address it and now there's like autistic pride is a thing and they have their own symbol which is a rainbow symbol that is the infinity sign and that they're. A, a lot of discussion of you know how you can be autistic but this kind of person and that kind of person very much in the same way of as homosexuality you can be you know gay like this or bisexual or transgender and these are all very different things and that they're all part of like this one umbrella and that you can't you know kind of classify people in any one way
2: well, and also, there has arisen a really huge community that finally encompasses the full spectrum, and it is a spectrum in the clinical sense with autism. Um, there are avenues on the internet by which people who are autistic and nonverbal are able to verbally communicate and express themselves, you know? And it's, it's literally like any other part of and subsection of com- community among humanity um, there is the full range of personalities of um, you know intelligence levels like it's it's again, it's not a mental, illness of any kind it's a developmental um issue but that it no longer fully hinders people from being able to express themselves in the world even if they're nonverbal and not able to communicate socially in the ways that people were confined to communicating up until the internet was around yeah i think that
1: like when this movie came out there People would have classified this as "there's something wrong with him," like yes. it's a problem. And now it's kind of viewed as like this person just has a different set of you know inputs and expresses things in a different way. And so it's it's more of a difference than it is that any one way is right or wrong.
0: So, did you guys ever see Rain Man before preparing for this podcast? Did you watch it when you were younger?
1: i did i won it in some kind of a i don't know if it was a contest or it was one of those things where it's like you get like you bought something and you get to choose one of these four movies but i remember like i was always the movie person in our house so whenever that would happen um i would be the one to get that gets to choose the movie which is how i remember i chose the temple of doom out of all three indiana jones movies
0: oh you chose poorly yes
2: (laughs) Oh, I love that movie. I have a soft spot for that movie. That's actually the one that I watched the most as a kid. Yeah, that was the other I'm one not I saying I didn't owned.
0: watch it when I was a kid. I'm just saying, in hindsight. <laughs> saying you you spoiled. look back
2: in, yeah,
1: in judgment. How dare you, Becky Bay? I babe. was like, I don't know. I remember that one being fun. <laughs> look, if Children. you don't like monkey brains, I don't know what to do with you. <laughs> That's how Rain Man came into my life is... <laughs> I think there were four movies. I want to say they were all MGM movies, perhaps. Or, like, either, like, classics or kind of, like, adult dramas, like, this is. None of them was, like, an obvious choice for a a kid, you know? It wasn't, like, none of them were Disney movies, none of them were action movies. So I was like, well, that one has Tom Cruise, so I guess I'll (laughs) pick that one. And that's how I ended up watching this movie. So I did own this movie on VHS, and But are we
0: talking you were, like, 10 years old, or maybe, like older? A little
1: older, probably 13 or 14. Okay. And also like, because it came into my life that way, like the fact that it was rated R slipped under the radar. Cause this isn't like a terribly explicit movie in any way. There's like one sex kind of scene, but I don't think there's a whole lot of bad language. So it kind of flew under the radar as like a, an early rated R movie that I was allowed to watch.
2: I did not watch Rain Man when I was a tiny tot, but as so many movies have been in the pantheon of when we were young episodes, it was a hand labeled v h s tape at my house. Um, I know that my parents loved this movie. I also know that my cousin, who as we 've talked about before, was like a big gateway to movies for me, and especially like watching quote unquote good cinema um and I know he always loved this movie, so i didn 't see any Barry Levinson movies. at that young an age until I got a bit older and started appreciating dramas Um, and I think Rain Man was pretty early in that so like early in high school and I really liked it the first time I saw it you know once I like got to the age to like really appreciate drama even though I didn't have a sibling I really was immediately like invested in that relationship and really drawn in by how they drew those characters out.
0: So I know this was a movie that was really big, and so it was on cable a lot, and I think that's the only way I could have seen it, and I probably just saw scenes, because, you know, I was younger. I think that I just wasn't into a story like this, Mm -hmm. Um, but I was familiar with Dustin Hoffman's character, because he became this, you know, very iconic character very quickly, Um, so Whenever people would, you know, say like definitely, definitely, and quoting the very famous lines from this movie, you know, doing an impression of him, I would know where it was from, mm-hmm. even though like i really had no desire to see the movie or like sit down and watch it start to finish like besides catching a few scenes here there on cable i was familiar with the character of runt on animaniacs (laughs) who was a parody (laughs) of uh dustin hoffman's raymond character
2: right really oh i totally forgot about that becky that's genius
0: i
1: hate being wet
2: yep it's wet it's definitely wet out here I'm, i'm sorry i got us kicked out of that count guy's home
1: what
0: was with that
2: bat fetish anyway? Don't know, but he hates Italian food, definitely hates garlic. If we find
0: enough- Were you guys uh familiar with Runt on Animaniacs? <laughs> I
2: was. The moment you said it I remembered and especially like when you when we played the video, it was such a like it again, it like brought that whole show back to me. <laughs> I wasn't a big
1: fan of Animaniacs. I think that was like vaguely familiar, but it wasn't anything I really connected to.
2: Well, and I would have seen that those episodes of Animaniacs before I'd ever seen oh, Rain Oh yeah. <laughs> but
0: that's like I mean, Animaniacs also had the Good Feathers parading Goodfellas. Yep. Yep. Like I think that a lot of what I know about pop culture came from like cartoons that were obviously doing impressions of of totally. pop culture figures before I would ever have seen the things that they're you know.
1: That's Uh, true. Like, even the original Looney Tunes, like, had so many classic movie references. Oh, yeah. I think it was obvious that they were references of some kind, (laughs) but, like, you wouldn't Mm -hmm. necessarily know where. But, like, these things would just, like, (laughs) seep into your brain eventually. And by the time you actually found out where it was from, you're like, oh, yeah, okay. Like, it already felt like you
2: knew it. And at the time, you laugh to play along, but you know on the inside that you don't know what they're referencing. Right.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So let's get to the movie. What did you think about the movie watching it as an adult?
2: I just want to say, like, first off, I'm surprised at how well it handled depicting the inner world of Raymond. I've loved, loved many of Dustin Hoffman's performances. I do think his performance in this movie hammers it a little bit too hard, a little bit too often. I don't know how much of that is writing or how much of it is just his performance choices, but... It made it feel a bit more reductive the way that he, like, communicates. But I still want to say that, like, over the course of the movie, it does a really good job of showing, uh, depicting a person who finds it very difficult to relate in any socially normative way with other people, but you get glimpses through that, and there are moments of real connection between him and Tom Cruise's character. Um... The other big thing I just want to say up front is that I was amazed at how much of a douche Tom Cruise's <laughs> character is. Like, rewatching it, I actually felt a lot more esteem overall for his performance and characterization. Chris, you were saying, I think it really is like a two-hander in the best sense. Like, I think these are two really good performances. I just think Dustin Hoffman's comes off sometimes as a bit one-note.
1: I really enjoyed watching this movie again I had not seen it probably since I watched it on VHS because I felt like I had kind of been there and done that and in my memory what's Stuck, probably, which is true for most people, is the kind of one-liners that this movie became known for, especially, like, repeating the word definitely, and a few things like that. Like, I know that, like, that was, like, something that, like, we would quote to each other at my house, you know, with me and my mom or something, and now feels, like, slightly a problematic thing to have been what we would now call, like, a meme. (laughs) Yeah, exactly, exactly. But it it was, it was, this isn't a comedy, it has four funny parts, and even the funny parts are more character-based, and I like that this movie allows it to be funny and doesn't just go, you know, because some of this stuff is funny, like autistic people can be funny in intentional and unintentional ways, and so I like that this movie presents that, but the fact that he became known as almost like a comedic character is a weird, is a bit of a weird thing, I think. And so I was expecting this movie to be a lot more treacly than it ended up being. I was very um, pleasantly surprised at how kind of unsentimental it is. As much as it has very touching moments, but they're really not overplayed. They're, it feels like a very adult movie. It doesn't feel like something that's pandering to anything. There's not really like swelling music that's trying to make you feel anything. You know, like consumer scores. score is very memorable but in a very different way as
0: can can i say something about that that he um i forget if somebody gave him a note or Hans zimmer decided himself to not include strings at all because he didn't want to make it too sentimental or treacly so there are no strings in his score on purpose Mm. yeah
1: and i think that that was a great decision and i feel like that decision was reflected in the direction and also the performances like i did not feel like anyone was ever asking me in sort of a naked fashion to like feel bad or feel anything in particular that it's just presented very straightforwardly and you can kind of take from it you know like whatever you are and the movie's obviously suggesting a story about brothers and I was surprised at this time, like how much that resonated with me. Cause I wouldn't have said as a child, I didn't realize why that was an emotional story. Like I got it in the broadest sense, but as an adult coming back to it and what it means to sort of reconnect to someone from your childhood, like a sibling, both Becky and I had that experience of not being super close with a sibling while growing up. And then like kind of once you feel like an adult, like kind of coming back together and being like, oh, like, yeah, we're two people, but we have this weird shared experience. I really enjoyed how that was reflected in this movie.
2: Yeah, and I I just picking up on what you were just saying, I feel like those moments of connection and and real like love and actual familial uh feeling are so hard-won in this movie. Like it takes a lot of pain put on both of these people to get to any kind of point where they actually are able to connect to each other. Like you were talking about with of your story with your own siblings, like it was so beautiful to watch how their moments of connection enabled them to deal with their own pain and kind of bring it to the surface in a way that neither of them would have done on their own if they hadn't encountered each other.
0: So I didn't really know anything about this movie going into it, except... I was very aware of Dustin Hoffman's character and the one-liners and his demeanor and and that whole thing. And I knew it was about brothers and there was, like, cars involved. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't really know anything else. And I watched it and I was really impressed. Like, really impressed. And then I actually watched it again, like, two weeks later. And I really love this movie. I think it's fantastic. Hmm. I think everything is so strong. The direction is not flashy, but it's so strong. Mm -hmm. Um, The acting on both parts, like, obviously, like, I was a little worried about Dustin Hoffman's character, but I think it actually, like, was handled very well. I think that he did do a a great job, and I think in the beginning it was a little like, oh, this could go south quickly, but I was quickly, my fears were swept away, and I was just kind of involved. You know, I forgot it was Dustin Hoffman, and he was just fantastic, but the two things that struck me me the most where the script is just so good to the point that you know we're looking I was looking for like host most likelies, so I was going <laughs> through the IMDB quotes, but I was just reading it because this the script is so strong. Um the characters are so vivid and so well written that I feel like this is a screenplay I could just read and enjoy. But I was blown away by Tom Cruise.
2: Yeah.
1: Was I there? Where was I? What were you, you, where, you went, where, you're in the window? You, w- you waved to me. Bye, bye, Rain Man. Bye, bye, Rain Man. So you, you, you were the one that sang with me. Yeah. What, 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 what? What, what, what did you sing? What, what was that song? What did you sing? What? She was just seventeen. You know what I mean. And the way she looked was way beyond compare So how could
0: I dance with another Ooh and I think that he's yeah. always been a great actor. And Obviously, like, a great presence in movies when he's, like, you know, running. <laughs> when he has to run. <laughs> he's a great runner. And, like, he's been in great movies where, like, Good Magnolia pace. and, like, it's like, yeah, Tom Cruise is a great actor. No one's saying he's not. But something about this movie where I was like, how the fuck did he not get nominated and win? Like, I was oh, yeah. blown away by him. And I was really caught off guard, like Seth said, that this character isn't, you know, just an antagonist, or I guess he's the protagonist, but, like, he, his character is a douchebag like his character is an asshole and he does so many asshole things to so many different people but by the end of the movie like it's so subtle but like you can see that part of him kind of washing away and him becoming a better person by the end of it in such a, a subtle realistic natural way like it's amazing
2: and it's not and it's not a total character change he doesn't no. do a full 180 you know in the way that many melodramas especially would try to go for you know and and it's
0: yeah he's still him but he goes through these things with his brother on this road trip that opens up this part of him and it's so subtle like the first time i watched i didn't even really pick up on it but the second time i was like this is about two people that have trouble communicating Mm-hmm. Um, where one literally can't communicate. He doesn't have the ability to say exactly what, you know, what he's feeling. And the other one, Tom Cruise's character, has so much resentment and anger in his life that everything comes out of him as like barking and anger. And he can't like connect with people, like whether it's his brother or his girlfriend or his dad or his coworkers. Like he can't communicate with people because of all this like building up within him. I just thought it was so interesting. Like all the, the parallels between them.
1: I really enjoy the episodes of this podcast where we're going into something and I have literally zero idea how anyone will feel about it. Oh uh, <laughs> <Well>, no! <laughs> you know, like this, what, like we were saying earlier, this wasn't anyone's like favorite movie of childhood. Like, and so I had no sense of like whether you would like it. And I thought I was going to be like the lone defender of Tom Cruise in this episode. Really? <laughs> yeah. Um, I also came away thinking, like, how good was Tom Cruise I'm in this movie? You.
2: Well, and it's also like, I don't know if y'all have seen Born on the Fourth of July. I haven't, actually. I think that's a fucking amazing performance. It's a really good movie, but an amazing performance. And, and yeah, no, it was like, in literally from the first scenes of the movie, I knew I was like, this was going to be one of my favorite Tom Cruise performances. And it utterly is, on every level. Yeah, I love how both the scripts and his
1: performance, go for being a jerk. Like, there's no... Like, oh, but he also, like, loves his puppy so much or something yeah, like that. Yeah, there's no,
0: like, save the cat moment in the beginning, which no. is, like, the thing that if some... you it, it shows you, oh, this person does have a little bit of a heart.
2: Yes, and there's no fake fucking redemption, you know? And it's, like, in almost, not just melodramas, in most kind of Hollywood dramas, in most kinds of movies that would star a Tom Cruise actor of that, like, caliber and star power, you know, to actively make those choices is like, a hallmark of a really great performance. Yeah, and it's a brave thing for a movie star, because he was a
1: very, mm-hmm. you know, big, bankable movie star at this time. And he's someone who's known for his charm in a lot of ways. So I don't know exactly, leading up to this, I haven't seen all of his 80s movies, but I would imagine that this was going somewhat against type in that, like, he's he's a cool guy, but he's a, a likable guy. And, like, he's known for, you know, his smile and... and Everything and this is a very sour performance. Like this is a very mm. miserable
2: character. It's yeah, he's like filled with bile. It's like yeah. piss and vinegar. The character. Ah. <laughs> There's a Delta. Yeah, I mean, it leaves a midnight
1: ray, you the know. But Delta, how's Delta? The Delta crash August second, nineteen eighty-five. Lockheed L ten eleven, Dallas Fort Worth. Oh, right, right. Terrible winds. All airlines. One thirty-five. All all airlines have, lines. have crashed at one time yeah. or another. That doesn't mean that they are not safe. Quan. Well, Qantas? Qantas never crashed. Qantas? Never crashed. Well, that's... Never crashed. I mean, that's going to do me a lot of good, Ray. Yeah. You see, Qantas doesn't fly to L.A. out of Cincinnati. You have got to get to Melbourne. Australia. Melbourne, Australia, in yeah. order to get the plane that flies to Los Angeles. Yeah. Do you hear me? The is a capital. 16.2 Let's million population. It's very Don't lovely me a of, You and I are going to get on this fucking plane. Right? Yeah. no, not no, no. <laughs> right. <Right. Yeah>. Ah! <laughs>
0: So he's not, like, a villain, like, raping women and, you know, like, doing these awful things, but it's his reactions to things. Like, the reason he stopped talking to his dad when he was, like, 16 was that he felt like his dad, like, never let him do anything or, like, get away with anything. He got a great report card, asked if he could go out and drive this, like, awesome luxury car of his dad's. His dad said no. The old he- like. Yeah, and he took it out anyway. The girlfriend's asking why he took it out. And he's like, because I deserved it. <laughs> and then he was saying that he got pulled over by the cops with his friends. They all went to jail. The friend's parents, you know, bailed them out. But the dad left him in for two days. And he's so filled with resentment and this, like, I deserve this and I didn't get it. So I'm going to cut my dad out for the rest of my life. And just, like, even him talking about the story to the girlfriend, the girlfriend is asking these questions. And he's like, can I finish? Can I finish? It's just even in the way he's telling the story story that the character is so well written because he's telling it like the the person he is like he gets very angry all of a sudden there's a scene later when he's ordering pizza and the girlfriend is yelling I don't like pepperoni and he orders pepperoni anyway like it's just like little things like that that are peppered throughout the script that make this character so fully developed that it's like yeah this guy isn't like a horrible person killing puppies but like he's just an awful normal person that you would see in real life that just has so much like in his past that he like needs to go to therapy.
1: (laughs) Mm -hmm. That was the thing that really resonated me. It's like he felt so real. Like I feel like I see this person all the time just like in a Starbucks or you know like barking into a cell phone down the street and you're just like oh that person looks like a real... Jackass. (laughs) Jackass. <laughs> and yeah, like there's so little light to his character, but he just, it felt honestly like one of the most real characters I can remember seeing in a movie that just, like you would expect these dramatic moments and then you would expect more redeeming moments to like balance it out. And instead it like lives in this like very uncomfortable middle that feels much more realistic where he doesn't sweep in either direction too far, but yet still like, oh, not a great guy. <laughs> and I also liked how this movie handled the relationship with the father. You never meet the father. You don't really know what he looks like. And you you really only know about him through story beats and then tom cruise's portrayal but you know tom cruise is very resentful of him and it does sound like he was kind of at least like a tough love kind of guy like probably a very angry man of himself but you also learn that he had this r- relationship with raymond that sounded like it was like pretty positive and loving and he let like raymond like sit in his car and stuff and so that was actually like the loving father-son relationship whereas like i feel like a lot of times there's like this kind of story but it's like the different child is you know cast out and it's like the the golden child who gets kept in. Right. And I liked that this suggested both, like, I can see him from Tom Cruise's point of view as, like, maybe he was a raging asshole, but also like, through just knowing that like, he went to visit Raymond in this place, and that they had a relationship it's like, well, you, you kind of get the sense that Tom
2: Cruise is not giving him, like, a fair shake either and that well, there was and a whole also, other side And, and it also makes, it also deepens Tom Cruise's character because it makes him profoundly jealous of Raymond you know? Um, but I also, it was interesting, like, re-watching it I also got the impression that he had. Become the worst aspects of his father. That, oh, like yeah. a lot of this was just stuff he projected into the way that he viewed the world in his own anger.
0: And the way that he has to, you know, he has to kind of father Raymond and becomes this father figure, Raymond. It's like he becomes his father or what he perceives his father to be this like, you know, angry person uh, with this temper.
2: Who tries to punish.
0: Yeah, and that's basically what Tom Cruise his character is throughout this movie. I thought it was really telling if you listen to the guy like reading the will that the father wrote. Mm-hmm. It actually wasn't that mean. No. No, all. not at all. He was like saying, like, you know, you stopped talking to me. I reached out a bunch of times, you stopped talking to me, so I don't know what I'm supposed to do and I wish you well. Here's the car that you always wanted, and here are my prized rose bushes. Yeah, um, but it
1: lets you like think like yeah, you could be doing that as a fuck you because the car is what broke Focus up but it's also could be a nice gesture and it's like you don't know like it reminded me of when someone is like off on a tear about like some someone be- else being a jerk and you're like sitting there like being like uh-huh but you're like actually thinking like well that- i kind of see that person's point of view <laughs> i had that sense of like even if you don't know that person you're like oh i feel like you are actually being kind of the jerk here and this other person that you think is being a jerk was actually being a lot more reasonable than you think
2: yeah, and I think ultimately, again, it, that just deepens both Raymond and Tom Cruise's character. Like it, it because it, so much of it, again, boils down to the differences in what we think we are versus how we just perceive the world because of all our baggage and because of how we responded to it. And I really like how a character
1: like Raymond, who is someone that like most people would look at and say can't communicate and struggles to communicate, actually is the person who's being the most genuine. And it's like these other two figures, one who we don't even meet in this movie, and then Charlie, they are the ones who really can't communicate, as like Becky was saying earlier. Raymond is actually like the most genuine and like is expressing himself sometimes in problematic ways, but very purely throughout this movie. And that it's only a character like that, that these men can actually connect to because he is so open that he like kind of conquers whatever steely reserve they have against connecting to other people is like you have to go like 100% with Raymond because like that's the only you know way that he's going to be able to express himself so it like really forces these people to communicate on a direct level in a way that they don't with anyone else and I love the parallel that like that's probably like his dad was probably like kind of an asshole too and maybe his relationship with Raymond was also like the only like saving grace of his life like that's the sense that I got from it.
0: This movie has great scenes between two people that it's a great movie for like acting students to like pull scenes out. Oh my god, out. totally. There's so many great scenes of two people. I mean, obviously there's a ton between Charlie and Raymond. I love the scene after Raymond walks in on Charlie and his girlfriend having sex. He's explaining really why he like basically kidnapped Raymond and the girlfriend is like storming out and like that's where the line like he's answering a question from a half hour ago, um, which is hilarious. Um, but there's just so many good scenes. Like, it's just so rich. I do want to touch on, uh, his, Charlie's
2: girlfriend, who's played by Valeria Galino, mm-hmm. um, who's an actress who was in one of the Pee Wee movies and a bunch of other, like, Hot 80s, Shots. And hot <laughs> Shots, yeah. Um, I always find her a really charming presence and, like, a beguiling in some kind of way. She's very unique looking. Um, yeah, she's, like, very unique looking and she has amazing eyes. <laughs> Are you sure that you drive this car? Of course, it's only twenty-eight miles on the odometer since I drove it a week ago last Saturday. It should be more than twenty-eight miles. Look, my boyfriend is coming. Of course, today's Monday. I I I always drive the car on Saturday. I never drive on
1: Monday. What
2: is this?
1: Who is this guy? I don't I should jump into the car. There we can jump out. I'm an excellent
2: driver. Yeah, that's good. Come on, come on.
1: Why'd you you let him get in this car?
2: He's not a toy. He says he drives this car. Dad lets me drive slow on a driveway every Saturday. Of course, the seats were originally brown leather. Now they're pitiful red. And I liked her character in this, but I love the scene where she teaches Raymond how to kiss and they dance briefly in the elevator. It was nice to have a tender moment with someone who, like, was not Tom Cruise, who like, was not, like, the psychiatrist or something like that.
0: I didn't like that scene. No? I didn't like hate it but I'm like why well, I feel weird about her kissing does she does she have to kiss him It's
1: yeah I feel like it gives like a kind of a confusing signal to him like where not really like because she's kissing him but because she's with his brother and that's just like a weird
0: But also that she's kissing him he's obviously not like saying, I wish that I could kiss a woman, you know? Yeah. It, was a little, it was a little weird for me. I felt like
2: it was more innocent than the valence you're ascribing to it, but I do see how, you, how it could play that way now. I feel like, especially at the time that it came out, Raymond's character is obviously rendered as a much more childlike presence than his obvious age would suggest, you know? Because that's the way that his personality is kind of written. So I get what you're saying, but I found it to be a relatively harmless, like cute thing. It wasn't terrible, but it it was more of on the sense like because he's so
1: angry, like that it seemed like it would really like cause him to get upset. And I did like the scene where he found out about it and was just sort of amused by it instead of like it didn't that. become
2: a thing. Yeah, I loved that moment.
0: Yeah, I just I was like he just not asking for a kiss and it just felt weird like if that Do you was think me that today. was a Me Too moment? I, I'm not going to go that far. I just think it was like not. I, I would change that out of everything it could have in the movie. Dancing,
1: like the point of the scene was conveyed through the right. dancing, yeah. where like I the think kiss that's was right. not necessary. The girlfriend really bugs me in this movie. Really? <laughs> yeah. Is it
0: because she's Italian? It might be. I'm sorry.
1: <laughs> I don't have a thing against Italian people, but there's something about it in this movie that has always bothered me. I remember watching the movie as a kid. I was just like not into her character like I was really relieved when she left the movie and I had that feeling again watching it this time is like I like her character and function but somehow just the dynamic that she has there and she, I don't know maybe it's because she's like a little too confrontational with him and it doesn't feel unrealistic but I, I like it better when this all like simmers out without like a third party kind of commenting on it and saying you should be doing this and, and that that's why
0: she left yeah
1: <laughs> that's why they let made her leave <laughs> the
0: movie in the middle
1: but I don't know like just those scenes like I don't like it
0: I, I think that <laughs> that she's a necessary character for sure yeah I do too, and
1: I when she comes back in the movie, I'm much better with her. I just I think th- there's not enough quite to her in the early scenes where I'm like, why is she with him? He's such a jerk. Like it felt like she was kind of a bit of a like manic pixie dream girl sort of thing.
0: I don't get that. Like I felt like I'm glad they were not married. Mm-hmm. Um, they were together a year, and I feel like because I was thinking like, why is she with him? And I'm like, well, he looks like Tom Cruise. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I mean, we need to shout out for a second. He was a mega babe. <laughs> and, and- Time at this point in history, yeah,
0: and I bet he is charming when he's trying to charm a woman, you know, but I mm-hmm. feel like maybe they got to the point in relationship where she's like, can you talk to me? Like, she's fucking over it. Yeah. So I felt like I was asking why is she with him when she was asking why am I with him? Yes.
2: Again, <laughs> that's part of why I liked that character. Is I, I don't think she needed to be in the whole movie, but I think she needed to be in the movie. And I think it was handled in a way that was, again, kind of dramatically understated relative especially to what it could have been and what that character and other dramas would have been. Yeah. I mean, I honestly
1: think it was just one of those weird things that just like rubs you. And there, I, there's nothing I can actually faults in it. It's just like an instinctive reaction. She's all like right. my Chris Elliott from <laughs> There's Something About me. Don't go
0: that far, please. Wow.
1: Wow. <laughs> Beth Grant is also in this movie. Who is that? In this movie, she's the woman in the house where they go and watch Wapner. Oh,
0: yeah. She's That's from what Speed. her name is.
1: Yeah, and she's in Donnie Darko. She's in A Million of Things. She's a she's great a, character She's actress. in
2: all of Richard Kelly's movies. I call her What's Her Face <laughs> because she is one of those faces who's in yeah. like so many movies.
0: Bonnie Hunt plays Sally Dibbs, the waitress, yes. with the toothpicks. Oh, I did not. I
1: knew, I saw, I remember seeing Bonnie Hunt's name somewhere, and then waiting for her, and then never connecting that anyone on screen was actually Bonnie Hunt. Yep.
0: Crouching yes. tiger Bonnie Sally Hunt. Dibbs. <laughs> she even had a name. The wa- She was a waitress, and she still had a name.
1: I remember her being, like, more in the movie than you'd expect, like, a random <laughs> <Yes>. waitress. <laughs> yes. Like, I was like, oh, she's
0: She's, she's lingering. <laughs> I want to talk about the Vegas sequence. Um I loved it.
1: <laughs> cool.
0: I loved it. It it totally fits and they become closer when this selfish man realizes that he can use his brother's exceptional talent for for evil, I guess. <laughs> and uh and count cards Receivory. at the table. I just I just think it's just so well written. When they start to enjoy each other, and like he's like, "Hey, Rain Man, what is he? What does he say? Like, Rain Man, let's let's play some cards or something." I forget the exact line, mm-hmm. but like they're smiling together and they're like doing this activity together, and Raymond is learning from him. Um, I, I I like that even when they're found out to be counting cards, it's not this huge, huge, huge dramatic chase or you know they're not thrown in jail. They're just asked to leave. When I think another movie might try to dramatize that even more, mm-hmm. but I love the scene when they get this huge high roller suite at this point, Charlie's already like, Hey, I told him to put the bed where you like it. Um, and he's trying to teach him how to dance. And it was just this like beautiful scene where I think it's the first time they share eye contact when they're dancing together. And it was just this beautiful scene. And even the way it ends where he's like so happy and he tries to give his brother this kind of aggressive like hug. And then Raymond freaks out and it kind of spoils the whole moment. Just the, the whole scene is just so well written and well acted and, uh, and well directed.
1: Now, when you dance, you can't watch my feet the whole time, so you're going to have to look up.
0: Yeah.
1: And when I tell you to, I want you to just just look up, real slow, just keep moving. Okay, you ready? Yeah. All right, start looking up. Yeah. A little more, keep moving. Just a little more. Yeah. A little more, Ray. All the way up. (laughs) There you go, Ray. Yeah. You're dancing. This is it. Yeah, dancing. Wanna close your hand here? Just It's really fantastic. Uh, For one, just because, like, it really attracts with Tom Cruise's character that he would only kind of allow himself to bond with his brother when he has, like, the excuse of, like, oh, it's because of the money. Like, that's what his initial draw to, Mm -hmm. like, be in a good mood in this time. And, like, that's what gets him to, like, open up. And I like that they didn't try and do something more sentimental. It so makes sense that Tom Cruise's character would do this. And then I really just have to appreciate that they let that scene happen when they're dancing without any kind of, like, gay, like oh, like we're not really gay or nothing like that. Like there's absolutely no indication that there's anything that could be uncomfortable about this. It's just like two guys and they're like connecting in this physical way that's obviously not sexual at all. I just see any time that you see that in a movie, especially like now, I feel like they have to call it out and be like, let's make a joke about this just so we all know. And I just loved like seeing a moment like that that could be presented just straightforwardly and not have to have any sort of commentary about like Why are two men touching?
0: So there is this uh, funny thing that that scene did remind me of. So the moment I saw Raymond and Charlie go down the escalator in the matching suits, I was like, I could have sworn that was a shot from Twins. (laughs) And plus the dance sequence of teaching a brother to dance in your hotel room. I was like, they must be, you know, parodying Rain Man and it must have come out like the next year. No, it came out a week before. (laughs) So I I find that to be an incredible coincidence that in two weeks of cinema, you have the same almost the same scenes in two different movies
1: yeah it was a time of great reveals I would say (laughs) I was gonna mention that there's a lot of like long shots of Tom Cruise and Dustin Hoffman walking and they they're both very short (laughs) and then twins is like the joke is that Danny DeVito is very short but Arnold Schwarzenegger is not so I kind of want like a quadruplets movie where it's just (laughs) Arnold Schwarzenegger and three very short men
0: (laughs) (laughs) there are also similarities although I think think they're a little bit more deliberate to a movie we've talked about on the podcast called The Wizard, <laughs> which came out the year after Rain Man. So I'm pretty sure Rain Man had something to do with that, where it's about uh, two brothers and and one of the brothers, like teenage love interest going on a road trip
1: to California, to
0: California, California. because one of the, the younger or I guess one of the brothers is kind of autistic <laughs> and has this mm-hmm. talent of doing this specific thing and they and they go to win some money <laughs> there's also like, like a
1: girl along for the ride yeah. and
0: I think that's a, probably more deliberate. There is not a
1: child kidnapper coming after them in this movie. Luckily, no.
0: Charlie Charlie is the kidnapper. But,
1: well, I mean, but it's they're, they're both <laughs> kidnapping, which it's a very strange coincidence too. Actually, I, I mean, I kind of doubt that that movie
2: was that influenced by this. No, I
0: totally think Rain Man's success had something to do with the Wizard's I plot. So. I, I would so. put money on it. I don't. I don't know that for certain. That's amazing.
2: I because t- I totally did not make that connection. Rewatching <laughs> it or any of that. It's. So in a way, it's Rain Man that made you move to California. <laughs> <laughs> I guess so.
1: <laughs> the truth emerges. Callback. <laughs> yeah, that Vegas sequence is really fun and also like very touching in ways. And just like kind of rewatching that scene just made me really appreciate Hans Zimmer's score again. I know we talked about it as not being sentimental, but he also framed it on world music, and it it sounds very exotic and very uh Not what you'd expect from, like, an American road movie. And he did that because this is the first time that Raymond is, like, out, you know, like, seeing the world. And so for him, everything does feel like this kind of, like, safari exploration. Mm. And I really really enjoy how that really reflected that. Because at first I thought it was such a weird choice. I was like, was he just not, like, paying attention to what kind of movie this is? And I loved that that actually really does become, like, part of the fabric of the movie.
2: That's so thoughtful. That's really interesting. I, I, I'm, I'm glad to have learned that from you. <laughs> it feels testament to me to how small and indie film like this is before indie film was ever a thing. There were certainly road movies before this, but many of them don't feel as intimate and don't ground, for instance, the music in something that's that specific and unique about the characters and their relationship to each other.
0: I just feel like this movie is an anomaly. Like, it's not that it wouldn't be done today, but, like, you had two of the biggest movie stars on the planet starring in this small movie.
2: The small movie that was the biggest movie of the year. That was the, the biggest year. movie right. of the year and
0: won all the Oscars. Right. Like, it's like,
2: n- on so many levels, it, nothing like this would get made this way. It wouldn't be $25 million. It wouldn't have Dustin Hoffman no. and Tom Cruise level people And in I want to, like, even I think if it was made today, I feel like it would be,
1: it would feel more like a social issues movie. Like, it would be positioned more as, like, a moral, you know, tale. And there would, I feel like it would be overthought of, like, how are we representing this and that? You know, I think it's very important to be like thoughtful about how you're representing everyone on screen but i also kind of enjoyed that this movie predated you know like overthinking those things and that it just allowed like this story to be and that it didn't really feel like it was like overly like workshopped and like had a million consultants like they did consult with like real doctors and Dustin Hoffman met with people who are autistic and so it does have authenticity but it also is a movie it's like a fun movie to watch it feels like a serious popcorn movie and that's something that we never kind of see anymore
0: yeah I can't think of what the equivalent to Rain Man is today with big stars small budget and becomes like successful financially and critically. You want to say something maybe like August Osage County or something? Well, that was like, exactly
2: what I was thinking of. And it's like, the, everything that is attempted on that level seems to completely bomb now. And yeah. for good reason, because they're usually shit. Oh, the closest one I could
0: think of was Closer, which was based off right. a play that had basically four people in it. I think, I think they were all big stars mm-hmm. at the time. And then it was a pretty small movie that got like Oscar nominations. But it was nowhere near like... A box office it hit. It was not a
2: juggernaut. No, no, and even office. that no. was
1: like 15 years ago or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. like goosebumps too. I don't know.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's just I. It makes me like happy that this movie was financially successful and won all these Oscars. Like, it just makes me like happy. Like, like, wow, we did it, guys. Like, right? Like that actually happened. That like it is all like a those good things anomaly. Yeah, all those things could happen, and and people could love it. You know, critic, critics could love it, audiences love it. The, the second that, like, you know, Dustin Hoffman's character becomes iconic, it's funny, it holds up after time. Like, this right. movie's crazy. Oh, absolutely.
1: I want to talk a little bit more about Dustin Hoffman's performance since we talked so much about Tom Cruise's. I really felt like it was so lived in. Like, I really did believe that this was a character and I never really saw him acting and for someone who I'm very familiar with as an actor like I also forgot that this was Dustin Hoffman or a performance I really just kind of believed that I was watching this guy as we talked about like they don't overly sentimentalize Tom Cruise they resist the temptation to like have Raymond's character really go on much of an arc like the changes that he does make like allowing like a little bit of physical um, contact with his brother are those are huge deals for him because those kinds of things are difficult for him, but they feel real. And there's so many movies where like the ending would cause you to like have to buy something kind of unbelievable from one or both of these characters. And this one just really keeps it like Raymond does not change. He goes back to where he was living before. And we do get the sense that although him and Charlie have this incredible connection, like it might not be a good idea for them to live together because Charlie, you know, kind of can't look. After him as much as Raymond might need to, or maybe Raymond isn't ready for all of those new stimuluses. We see him like really freak out when he's almost forced to get on a plane and when the smoke alarm goes off. And I just feel like so many movies would be like, well, and then the third time he doesn't freak out. And so now everything's okay. And it's like, I really enjoyed that they let h- him stay that way and didn't present like autism as something that could be fixed with love or something like that.
2: Yeah. And, like, while I complained earlier and kind of stand by, like, the sense that I I do think there could have been room for more shades and tones in that performance, I totally agree with you, Chris, how lived in it feels and how I think a relative mark of the quality of the movie and the quality and humanity in the writing, rather than, like, overthinking it to try to get all details or terminology right lends it to have a lot more gravitas because regardless of what shade of that condition anyone has had any personal experience encountering like you utterly believe that this character would be one whose moments of connection would be super hard won and you so get a sense of the pain that he goes into when he's having those stressful moments like with the smoke alarm and I think that's like direction that sound design but it's especially performance Mm -hmm. um and yeah i absolutely agree that that again it's like it's it's a movie that rests on the strength of both of its leads
0: I really love the scene in one of the hotel rooms. There's two parts to it. The first is where Tom Cruise learns that this imaginary person that he used to call the Rain Man, somebody who comforted him when he was very little, he realizes that was Raymond. and he was pronouncing it Rain Man. And just how he finds out and how it naturally comes up. That whole, like, just change on his face of, like oh my god, like, we have this history that goes back that far, and you remember it so well, because you have an amazing memory, and him discovering that, and then very quickly after that, he's turning on the bathtub and Dustin Hoffman's performance, because apparently the reason that they sent Raymond away was because, I guess, he burned the burns charlie as a baby mm-hmm. with hot water so they were like oh he looks even though he's much older I, what is he like 15 years older or something like that
1: yeah probably something like that so, something yeah. like that, they, that, that they
0: were like oh he's not he's you know gonna hurt his brother so we have to you know put him in a home um just that whole scene it's just like that's this that's the oscar scene <laughs> seriously you know? oh and, it really
2: is especially that that scene was just devastatingly beautiful to me because again i think it's it is such a dramatic emotional moment and so relatively understated and underplayed the way it's like almost casual how Raymond is talking about that and like talking about the day that he watched his brother get taken like or watch or experienced being taken away from his brother.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's a great moment for Dustin Hoffman because it is like the money scene of like learning so much insight about you know the past of these characters and it, like it's where we basically learn everything that we need to know from this movie and yet he plays it the same way that he plays every other scene and there's no sense that like Raymond knows that what he's saying now is more important than anything mm-hmm. else he's just like it's another like oh well we're talking about this memory so I really like the way that it's just not overplayed like so much of this movie I honestly got chills when you mentioned this scene again because yes. <laughs> when I was watching it this is the thing that I didn't connect to when I was younger is just like having that moment. It's an interesting thing to talk about even though it seemed like a strange movie kind of to do on the podcast. We've had so many moments on this podcast of remembering things from our youth suddenly that like one of us will remember and we'll be like oh my god oh yeah I totally had forgotten all about that and I loved how that was reflected in this movie with Tom Cruise's character. Something you never would have thought about again and just kind of dismissed as this imaginary friend. imaginary friend and then suddenly like it takes on this whole importance And he realizes that something that he hadn't thought very much about actually changed the entire course of his life. I mean, like, this is a major thing that he never knew he had a brother and that his dad had to send this other son away. And that's probably some of the reason why he resented Tom Cruise's character later. So just that feeling and seeing Tom Cruise connect the dots in that scene was like really exciting and really relatable for me and just like really, really hit me powerfully.
2: Yeah. You see his ice breaking like in one moment and it's, yeah, it's just, it's beautiful. It's such a beautiful scene in a movie with a lot of, like, really beautiful moments. Uh, In the Something About Mary
1: episode, we talked about uh, things being edited for planes. (laughs) (laughs) This movie was also edited for planes, but not really for objectionable content. It was because of the scene where... Raymond mentions all of the airlines that have had plane crashes. Oh
2: my god, really?
0: The airlines chose to take that out because obviously they don't want people to see on their... their
2: greatest f- hits. <laughs> right.
0: Yeah, but Qantas, on the other hand, showed it the whole... <laughs> they replaced their, their airline
2: scene. safety training video <laughs> at the start of the flight.
0: They, inc- they included that scene and they were happy to include that scene yeah. in because their mid-flight Qantas entertainment. Yeah, Qantas is the
1: only uh, airline that had not crashed at this time the I'm not sure if it is still... I don't think it has. I don't know. But, um, yeah. So that was a... <laughs> it would... I can kind of see why they would edit it out. It would be really weird to be watching this movie, like, on a Delta flight, and then they'd be like, Delta crash at this point. And you'd be like, hmm... <laughs> <laughs>
2: No, no, definitely not gonna fine. No.
0: So um that was Rain Man. So it seems like we all uh liked it. <laughs> and, and yeah, I I really wish there were more movies like this. I, I would love Rain to. Rain Man two, you guys. Rain Man Two. I would love to read the the screenplay. Like, just read it. It's just it's just a great screenplay. I was I was really blown away by this movie.
1: I also, like I said, I really liked it. But I also have had have come to appreciate it significantly more even just talking about it in the last hour or so with you guys. I in some ways expected maybe to be the most positive person on this movie. I just had no idea, I guess, what you guys were going to think of it. And you know, the more that I like think about it's a movie where like the more that you like kind of wrestle with it. I think it it rewards you for like th- looking into those layers because it's not a movie that like is in your face about what it's saying and you can kind of miss things. So discussing it a little bit more and and like digging into it, I feel like there's really a lot there.
2: Yeah, and I mean also kind of like going to the point of the making of a movie like this, I, it makes me miss like mid-budget dramas so yeah. so much. Um, not just because of the named talent that you would be able to attach to something like it, but and terms of the level of direction and writing that that can like bring to bear it takes effort and talent and craft to make something that is this understated while not pulling any punches dramatically at all um and i think it's this movie stands as a real achievement in that um even for these particular actors and even for this particular director
0: well i look forward to rain man 2 age of ultron
2: (laughs) (laughs) tom
1: cruise will be back
2: and by my count, we've spilled 246 toothpicks, and there are only four left in the box, which means that's all the time we have on When We Were we Young. We have four toothpicks left! <laughs> How much time is four toothpicks? But we don't have time for those toothpicks, Chris.
0: That was it. You just We just ran out of toothpicks. Oh, exactly. Well, you're
2: welcome. On the next episode of When We Were Young, we kick off the spookiest month of the year by revisiting Goosebumps, the best-selling children's book series by R.L. Stein. Viewer beware. You're in for a podcast that is audio only. The When We Were Young podcast is a production of the MFP Studio Studio in Los Angeles, California. Please track us down on the iTunes and all the social media outlets and leave us a review of five stars or more. I have been Seth.
0: I'm definitely Becky.
1: And I have Wapner at five o'clock.
2: Ray? Ray! Ray! Ray!
1: Yeah.
0: I'll see you soon.
2: Yeah. One for bad, two for good.
0: But two for good. Yeah.
2: Course three minutes to block You'll make it. Yeah.